Welcome to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubinstein. Conversations between Gavin and the people he believes have trailblazed by thinking outside the box in their field, industry, or even just in his office. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a very special guest today. He's a personal friend of mine. We've been friends for a long time. Like we go way, way back. He is a high level practitioner in the world of real estate, an all around gentleman. And what I love most about his story is his ability to deal with tough situations and overcoming them with still having a really good looking smile on his face. Adrian Oddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gav. How you doing, man? Pretty good. You've been through it. Lasted Mm -hmm. a while, right? It's not been easy, but you're still smiling, looking good. Still selling lots. Sort of. No, I mean, we just had a conversation before we started. Credentials, let's kind of, before we get into the story and everything else, talk about the last couple of years in terms of numbers. What have they looked like to you? If we sort of go back to calendar year 2021, so between then and now, almost 250 sales. That's wild. We'll talk about this year because the numbers are affected by how I've practiced this year. I mean, outside of that, what else do you want to know? That's the high level stuff. So 250 sales over three years, but the last year you barely kind of- been active. So you can really say 250 sales over the course of maybe two, two and a half years max. Generous, but maybe, yeah. 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 I mentally switched off October, November last year, and I didn't switch on again till the beginning of September this year. Yeah, so it's like a year. So it's what I'm saying is correct. 250 sales over the course of maybe two, two and a half years, which is insane. How old are you? And when did you get into real estate and why? 41. What does this guy eat for breakfast? Does he look 41 to you? (laughs) I got in when I was 20 and I fell in by default because what I thought I wanted to do when I finished school and what I actually did all came crumbling down pretty quick and I basically didn't have any options. I've said this to a few people. I I really wanted to be a cop, but instead my best friend was working in real estate. Do they still work in real estate? Yeah, he's he's a commercial agent. What's his name? Rocco Tripodi. Oh yeah, but yeah, I've seen his stuff. Yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Good okay. guy. Yeah, good guy. So I spent a day with him, and then I was like, actually, I really like this. Yeah. And the rest is history. Did you go to university? Did you study? No. Okay. It's amazing how many times I hear from people in the industry they had no other option. Like I was the mm. same. I had no other option. Jumped in the game, and ended up making something out of it. So you're 20. You've been doing it for 20 plus. It's a long time on the mm. grind of the real estate world. Long time. I wow. mean, and, and even before that, I've been doing six days a week for since I was years. 17. That takes a toll. Yeah. It's kind of like I always think, like if you've got a wall and you keep bashing a wall in the same place, right? no matter how strong the wall is, eventually if you don't repaint plaster that wall, it's going to make a fucking hole, is it not? 100%. Tell me a bit about how you started, mm. where you started, and how you led to 250 sales in two, two and a half years, 20 yeah. years later. I did a short stint, like I just wanted in to the industry. So I did a short stint. I talked myself into a job in an office in Balmain. That's where I work in Sydney. I was basically the receptionist. For real, the receptionist? I wasn't even the receptionist. I was like the part-time receptionist. You were the receptionist support. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. What the principal of the office did is he really wanted to give me a job, but there was no role. So he said, you can sit on reception. And then every time someone's got an RDO, you can sit at that that desk. And basically the property managers were giving me things to do. So I was doing like arrears calls, printing stuff, putting stuff in the window, all the most basic stuff. 20-year-old trying to get a foundation, do whatever he wanted, yeah. Yeah. And then I had a couple of wins, which when I look back now, I think are pretty funny. So about six months in, I took a few phone calls, like appraisal calls, which were listings. (laughs) And I'm not sure if I've shared this story. One of the phone calls was an appraisal for a house and I went and did it. And I didn't think much of it. I did it. And then we were also in the office one day and something came through the facts. Like that's how long ago this is. Right. And the principal said, who went to this particular address? And agreements come through. And I was like, no. oh, oh gosh. And I was like, I thought I was in trouble. And I was like, oh, that, that was me, Paul. He said, hang on a second. You went and you signed this up. And I was like, yeah. And he said, everyone stop working. 
this bloke's been here for six months and he just signed the property at 7.7% management fee. I've never seen that with any of you. As a temp receptionist assistant. As a 20-year-old, like with so much bravado, I was just so hungry to work. And so that was property management. That was PM then. So I did that for a short time and I realized that I wanted to transition to sales. That was just my journey. I don't think that's like necessarily the path everyone should go. That's what I wanted to do. And I really wanted to work for McGrath. Yeah. And at the time, John McGrath just released a book. You don't have to be warm, brilliant. It really resonated with me. I remember just asking people about agents at the time and everyone sort of had like a pretty low opinion. But for some reason, you mentioned McGrath and everyone would be like, oh, actually, those guys are different. That's a company that I want to be a part of. Luckily, my friend Rocco worked for McGrath. And then as a result, what I did is and how I got in was I went to one of John McGrath's seminars. I sort of like smooth talk the organizer of the seminar saying like, he's my hero. Can I meet him? Blah, blah, blah. And he did this talk. And after the talk, I went up to him. I jumped the queue because everyone had lined up to talk to him. And I gave him my business card. And I said, John, I'm Adrian. Like your book changed my life. I really want to work for you. One day I'll be one of your top agents. Here's my card. And he took the card and he said, you start tomorrow. I like that. And not only that, I went to that particular seminar for a couple of my mates and they loved him too. But it, it was like meeting Tom Cruise at that point. Sure. And they didn't step up to meet him as well. So but I did. learn from that. So did you then work with McGrath after that? Yeah, I worked for them for three years. I worked with their top performer in the inner west. Right. So I was exposed to like 300 sales in my first three years, maybe two years. What was the office you were doing that PM work at? That was Ray White Balmain, but that office has changed ownership multiple times. Got it, got it. So you went Ray White Balmain to that seminar, then working for McGrath. Within my first 12 months. Wow. 300 sales with that particular agent. And then I decided that I wanted to do it myself. I sort of wanted to work within McGrath, Mm -hmm. but the way it was sort of set up at the time was that I couldn't do the same area as my boss because it would be like- Patch, you can't. Yeah, 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 it would have been competition. So I was like, well, what do I do now? Because I started in Balmain, where I did that work experience was the inner west of Sydney. I thought I might go back to Balmain. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, how am I going to just start from scratch in Balmain? So then I started looking at offices in Balmain. Right. And then I landed at an office called Cobden and Hayson. I spent six years there. Were you six years? You are, yeah, you have been doing it 20 years. You yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, and then uh, in 2013, I transitioned. In the 2012, I opened Breswick Whitney Balmain in partnership with Ivan and Shannon. Right, which now you are a major partner in for the whole firm overarching Breswick Whitney as yeah. a business, which is a so, Goliath of a business. Big yeah. business, yeah. 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 We're not a franchise. It's just there's headline stock and yeah. there's- Four soon to be five offices. So like a major Bressick Whitney umbrella, privately owned. Correct. There's eight partners, including yourself and including Shannon. I think so. I haven't okay. counted recently, and but that's I ac- think it's eight. And that's across the five offices. Yeah. What a journey. A couple of things that you touch on. I mean, first point is stepping up when opportunity knocks, like going over to John. Your friends loved it. They were inspired. They didn't step up to the plate. You did. How often have you done that in your career? And why do you think the people who do that are so few compared to the people who mm. don't do that? I don't know why people do it, but I think for me, I was just on a mission and I knew that was, I'm just having to think about this now. Mm -hmm. The answer is not instinctive, but I knew that I had to stand up. And even though I was sweating, I felt like I was going to throw up. I had to meet John. I had to tell him like, this is who I am. I took the opportunity as uncomfortable it was, but I saw that as a stepping stone to where I wanted to be. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not sure why. Because there's there's a really kind of distinct line between people who do that and most mm. of everybody else who don't, right? Something to think about, which you can come back to. The other point I wanted to ask was you talk about a couple of big wins early on in your career. Like I think about my career and the small but big wins early on and it built this level of confidence and belief that was authentic, not arrogance. Mm. We can talk about the difference between that later too. How kind of much of a role did that play in the success you've got today, those early, early wins? 
You know, like one of the things that helped me transition into real estate was, so my first role out of school was a motor mechanic with my dad. That was six days a week. And right. that was serious. That was like, training already. Oh man. Yeah. So I like could not believe that I could walk into a real estate office with a suit on, <laughs> work five days a week, have an RDO. And like people got paid to do that. For people who don't know, what's an RDO? Ross a day off. I saw myself as so fortunate that I could go to work and get paid to wear a suit and do that sort of work. I'm like, I do this for free. I love it that much. Like I was going home filthy and like smelly and the work was like high pressure. It was so intense being a mechanic. And I was like, my first few years just flowed. I didn't know any better. I just came from like- Crazy. Yeah. So perspective, it is so freaking important, isn't it? The way you look or perceive or the language that you use just puts you in a whole different position to be grateful or not. 100%. Yeah. Your six year stint at Compton Hayson, what did you learn? What were the few lessons you learned out of that to put you in a good position for the Bressick Whitney trajectory, which I understand is? Yeah. Still on the rise. My journey there was interesting because. Solo agent there, standing on your own? Or? Yeah, I was yeah. always solo. Cool. So, like, in fairness, I was probably very lucky because when I first joined there, their model was a bit different and there was lots of leads going through the front door Yep, and they were very fair to their credit in distributing those leads. In my first year, and this is probably something, maybe a point, I still sold 40 or 44 properties in my first year, That's well. but I also probably lost like 40 listings. And we used to have an appraisal meeting on a Wednesday, I think it was. And like, I was so embarrassed to go to that appraisal meeting because I'd be saying, yeah, I got listings, but I've also lost so many listings. A lot of my experience comes now and what I've learned a lot from is from my mistakes. I just say to everybody, in particular at Brezzy Quitney, I've just made more mistakes than everybody. The other thing is I've learned from other people's mistakes. I watch someone, I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that. So the Cobden and Hasten journey was good because I was presented with loss of opportunity, but I learned from, so every time I lost the listing, rather you than know. get down about it, you I'm know. like, I'm going to learn from this. Okay. Yeah. And this will never happen again. Everything was a lesson. So I actually saw some of the losses as positives because like, that's not happening again. Perfect. And I just kept growing and growing until I started doing pretty well. Yeah. Constant improvement, right? Yeah. So back in, I think it was 2010. It's not a big deal now. I think I was probably one of the first agents under 30 to crack a mill in GCI, which was a bit of a big deal back then. Were you at Cobden Hayson at that yeah, time? Interesting. Yeah. It was 2010. And so if you're obviously hitting these milestones, right? 40 odd sales in year one, you're tracking pretty good. Mm. What was the catalyst to make you say, I'm going to go open up Bresic Whitney? What created that? I was always determined to do that. And I always had this belief that I wanted to be a business owner. So it was just this unwavering belief. And I think that probably came from family. So my dad has a business and it was just the way that the family referred to the business. My grandparents came from Italy in the fifties. My grandfather was a shepherd. We came here, no money. All my grandfather knew how to do was work seven days a week. My grandmother too. And that's Good what skill they did. to have, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what they did. And then sort of my dad and probably mum, but my dad adopted a lot of that because- yep. He saw like the work ethic and I adopted the work ethic, but the workshop that my dad owned was sort of spoken about as if it was like a church or a shrine or something, because that was giving us opportunity. So I sort of made the association to, if I have a business, then I'm going to have my own church and my own, like, I don't know if that's shrine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of like it is. And it isn't that. So that was the first belief. The other thing is, is that I met Shannon Whitney around 2008 and he blew my mind. Yeah, I've yeah. never met anybody like him. What made him blow your mind at that point? I know now you know him really, really well, but at that point, what did he say or do that made you think this yeah. guy is special? So I think I know the technical answer. It's his emotional intelligence. Yeah. The guy's ability to listen, to understand, to dig deeper, to ask you questions, to help you verbalize what you're thinking. He almost gets you to answer questions 
that you didn't even know, like you, <laughs> you want answered yeah. or like he makes you think. He was probably the first male because I do think that just naturally females do this better than guys. I'm not being sexist when I say that, but he was the first male that like seemed to be able to sort of care. Yeah. He yeah. just sort of unlocked my brain and just, I felt myself just always talking around him. I'd go home and I'd be like, oh my God, like that conversation was so deep and so good. Yeah. And he cares. He goes deep with it. He's very good. Okay. So, good. so there was that part and did he prospect you or did you prospect him? Did he approach you say, Hey, I see you're doing some big things in Balmain. You're first agent under 30 or one of the first agents under 30 to crack a mill. I'd love to get into partnership with you. Or were you like, Shannon, I love your work after you had a conversation and we should do something together. How did that? Cause it's a cool story yeah, to yeah, understand, yeah. right? It's probably a lot more organic than that in the sense that I met him in 28, but I didn't do the mill till 2010. Got you. So after I met him, I remember saying to him, could I please meet you like on Friday mornings, maybe every week or second week? And could you, could you coach me? And he was like, no problem. So that's what we started doing. Like, I think at the start, every time I went, like I'd go and buy an expensive bottle of wine just to show him that I was so grateful for his time. Cause I was like, I can't believe this guy is giving me his time. Yeah, and that. then we'd work through stuff and there were periods like I didn't realize it, but he will probably prospect in each other. Gotcha. Is the answer. I've never asked him that, but I think that would be the answer. Yeah, Maybe no. I should ask him. But I think that's what he was doing. But what is interesting is that when I approached him at the end of 2010, because I think maybe we'd have a couple of conversations about going into business. But when I said to him, I want to do this, I want to go into business with you. I want you to be my partner and Ivan. He really pushed back on me and he said, why do you want to do that for? I still remember the conversation. Like I was so taken back. And the I was old like, classic Ivan Bresic reverse sell. He pushed me Ivan, so hard. Ivan wrote the book on that, the reverse sell, right? Yeah. He used to teach that when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> was funny. He's good. I've got plenty of lessons. Maybe some might come up in Far this. I'll out. share. But he pushed me hard. In fact, he rattled me. He really rattled me because I remember saying to my partner at the time, that's not how I thought that conversation would yeah. go. Like I'd built up the nerve to ask him. And he basically pushed, pushed me back. away and yeah. I couldn't give him an answer besides I want my own business. Yeah. And he's like, why? And I'm like, cause I want my own business. I want my name on the door within context. And he's like, mate, why? And I just couldn't answer it. And I was like, I don't have a why. I want my own business. That's what I want. So he made you dig deep. And I still couldn't do it because the answer was shallow. The answer was it had been modeled from my parents yeah. or from my dad in particular. My dad had a business. We all worship this business. We saw the business as, just like I said before, like the opportunity for the family. And I was like, I need my opportunity so I can do my thing with my family. Would I do it again now? Would I go into business now? Maybe, maybe not. I yeah. don't know. We can touch on this quickly. I think the real estate landscape was very different like 10 years ago. Firstly, it was probably a lot more profitable to be a business owner because the fee splits weren't nowhere near as high. So when you look at it now, like there's huge turnover, but when you look at the profit and I remember at the time people saying things like, don't worry well, about going into business. So valid, yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, worry true. about going into business. Just invest your commission and you know, you can achieve the same sort of thing. I talk to agents now, like some agents I say, like, tell me about your setup now. And they're like, yeah, we've got this little office and we're growing the rent roll and, but you're not doing that many sales and the sales is where the money is. Like, this is just my interpretation again. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're building this little rent roll, but like, who cares? Yeah. Like you could save more than what you're building. So you have to decide what are you going to prioritize? I would prioritize making as many sales as you can and then invest that money in something else. It's going to be worth way more than your little rent roll. In that, by the way, is a freaking headache to run, manage, maintain, and water, right? If we jump to the Breezy Whitney early days, yep, I had no idea what I was in for. Yeah. Like no idea. You were just, I want to own a business because that's kind of been embedded in me from my family. I want to create my own type shrine vibe. That was it. The rest you kind of learned as you went. So then I thought Shannon's pretty cool. He dresses well. So I started, <laughs> I wore casual clothes for the first couple of months. Yeah. 
I said things, silly things to Shannon and Ivan, like, you wait and see, I'm going to smash it. Everyone's going to want to work for me. Yeah. All that sort of silly stuff. So my ego was probably out of control, even though I think it wasn't that bad, but it probably was. Yeah. And then you fast forward, I've been there for four months and Shannon says to me, also, I got locked out for the first three months. I couldn't work. From a non-compete or something? Yeah. Yeah. And it became pretty apparent. Like Litigious? Yeah. I have to start from scratch. Yeah. So luckily at the time, Ivan had listed something and he'd met 80 people and that's how Bresley, Whitney, Balmain, like if we look at just an office level started from one callback book. I literally called that book a hundred times. Lesson in that too, yeah. Yeah. But you fast forward. So I'm in casual clothes. I've lost a couple of listings. And I remember Shannon, like we sat in the boardroom and he said, all right, well, here we are. You've come on, you're a hot shot. What have you done? And I was like, oh gosh. The advice he gave me from that, because I hadn't done anything, was he said, Adrian, you've come from an office with dominant market share. But my impression of you is, is that you're still walking around like you have dominant market share. But I hate to break it to you. You have 0% market share right now. You don't even have an office. Because you're working out of Glebe trying to do Balmain. And I was like, oh man. And at that point, I wasn't sort of suiting up every day. From that meeting, I went home. I suited up every day. If you check the alarm code, I'm pretty sure, Brezzy Quitney, between 2013 and 2014, I'm pretty sure I turned it on every day. And I'm pretty sure I turned it off every day. Yeah. That's the golden bullet right there, or the silver, whatever you want to call it. Right? First to turn it off, last to turn it on, right? That's what I did. So I just went, I'm going all in. How long did it take you to build it up? I think where things changed was probably the end of 2014 because that's when our mutual friend and my best mate, Andrew Liddell joined. Yeah. So Andy was probably watching with interest and I'd always sort of been pretty close to him. And when he joined at the end of 2014 and then we found an office middle of 2015, that's when it started to take off. What's the the time period on that? You starting it in the- Two years, three years? Two and a half years. Yeah, sounds right. The first two years- Struggle. I can't tell you. Like I've said this before, I had this perfume that somebody bought me and if I spray that now, it makes me want to gag. That's how hard, (laughs) that's how hard that first two years was. I thought about quitting and again, I've shared this before. I remember I lost that many listings because people would say to me, Adrian, we want to use you. But who is Bresley Quitting Balmain? Our competitors had learned. The smart thing to say is they're a really good office, but they're in Surrey Hills. They're not in this area. They don't have a, a physical space. It's pretty smart. I would have said the same thing. And then also if they were losing that battle, then they'd throw some free stuff and anything to, to take me out. I was at my breaking point. Like literally, I thought I'm a phony. I'm a fraud. You went from chest out, head up, it was never young about hot me, shot yeah. to like- you know, yeah. the complete opposite. And how did you manage that, right? That kind of duality, because it's a, it's quite extreme. Mm. Going from essentially hero to zero in two years after being given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, your own office yeah. in, in Balmain. In addition to that, I'd lost all my self-worth because I was a successful guy, like my interpretation of success. Sure. And I've gone from earning whatever I was earning to earning basically nothing yeah. to the extent that I actually sold my own investment property because I was like, I better sell it. I so need cash. Well, not even that. I need to show these boys I can sell something. So I sold my own place and charged myself full fee. That was my level of commitment. I look back now, I'm like, that is so dumb. But anyway, at least you did it. How did I do it? I questioned myself a million times. I can't tell you how many times I got in the car and went for drives and would just listen to music like stuff to try and perk me up. Yeah. And every music day, or like podcasts? Music. music There's no yep. podcasts then. Yeah. Silly songs like- to, to 50 try. Cent, If I Can't Do It, Nobody that sort of Can. Shit. Yeah, 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 that, that sort of stuff. We've all been there. I'm a, I'm a survivor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's Destiny's okay. Child. I love yeah. that track. So yeah. I would just get to the end of the day every day, exhausted, knowing that I'd, I'd done everything I could. And I would say, tonight I'm pressing the reset button. Tomorrow's a new day. I'll tackle this one day at a time. 
the breaking point for me was there was this one particular listing I'd thrown everything at it and these, they told me they were going to make a decision. And I actually said to myself, if they say no, I'm done. This lady called me and I remember when she called me, the phone broke up. I was thinking, what did she just say? And I was almost scared to call back and I called her back and I said, like, I'm really sorry. What did you say? And she said, I'm going to give it to you. I wanted it that bad that I started to cry. I, I stopped wow. talking. I was like, the industry has broken me. That's for If life. she says no, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. I've That's given crazy. it everything. Yeah. I can't work any harder. My product knowledge is like 10 out of 10. Yeah. yeah. I've got nothing else. That, like That right there actually shows how challenging this game is. When you peel back all the glitz and bullshit bravado crap narrative that is spun about it mm. for a lot of the guys who don't really care and you separate them from the people who really do take it seriously and put everything in, mm. that shows you the emotional roller coaster that it is. That's is. I've, I've never heard that. That's pretty wild. After 21 years, this is a hard gig. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't take away from anyone in other professions. No, you know, no, no, no way. So I'm not doing that. No. But if your decision is to be in real estate and be a successful agent, then that's not easy because- Good luck, Chuck. And the reality is, is like, this is what I say to everybody. I'll use Andrew as an example. Let's Liddell, say- Andrew Liddell. Andy Liddell, yeah. yeah. Start. He's father of- Four. Ten. Yeah. Might be ten, <laughs> you may as well. I say, guy's a father of four, looks younger than me. I mean, it might be- yeah, he does look, he probably looks younger than me. He definitely looks younger than me, yeah. He gets up at 4, 3.45 or 4 o'clock to train at the gym for an hour so he can help and be present with his wife and children when they all wake up. Like yeah. the guy is unbelievable, his level of commitment. Yeah. So think about this, right? He's at the top of his game. He is 10 out of 10 committed. So if you want to come in and you want to compete against Andrew, yeah, well, you're if, you're not, if you're yeah. not 10 out of 10 committed, how are we going to do it? You might get the odd one, but- his skill set, his buyer practice, his seller practice, his performance, his track record, and his commitment is 10 out of 10. Like that makes it a bit hard. I think, I genuinely think when I started, it was a bit easier because I feel like I cracked through pretty easily. When I started, there was no training as well. So like I remember spending so much of my money on tapes, Brian Tracy, and we get this hot topic CD that would arrive once a month and I would get it, run to my car and play it and get the dialogue. And the McGraw training at the start was actually like pretty good Decent, too. So, yeah. But it was really on you, the individual, to train yourself. I did all that stuff, but I guess I feel like it was a little bit easier when I cracked through because I did it such a long time ago. But nowadays- it's hard. If Andy's 10 out of 10 committed and he's got all those 10 out of 10s in all those areas, well- You got to be ready. You got to be ready. You got to, yeah. What's your version of, if you break it down into multiple categories, what you need to be at in terms of being 10 out of 10 committed agent, like your version of it and break it down, your version. If I'm coming into the industry and I'm like, I want to compete with him. Yeah. So I want to be able to at least kind of win in certain scenarios. How does my life professionally and- personally have to look from A to Z. Like give me five I'll, top tips. Give you, so in terms of like in a physical sense, he's in the office most days doing a full day, whatever that may be. Bear in mind, he's got kids. So some days he takes the kids to school, but he's thinking about work from probably 3.45 or 4am yeah. whenever he starts at the gym. So that's where he's starting. He's doing full days. He's doing six days a week. Full days look like what? Probably 8.30 to 6. Yep. I don't actually know. I'm not there to see him because he outworks me. His product knowledge, market knowledge would be nine out of 10. Yep. He so knows he knows what's selling, what's coming every, on, what's like, sold for, who owns what. That's like a no brainer. So how important is that? Incredibly important. Not a lot of people get it, how important that is. Yeah. I've noticed over the course of, of the years, the guys who are good, funny enough, it's basically what you're saying, really get it and mm. everyone else kind of doesn't. Well, think about this, right? I sort of 
describe the market as a circle. If you're a new agent and you want to get into the market, the only way to get yourself into the market is to put yourself into the market. So how do you do that? You can call people, you can door knock or whatever, but let's just leave it at real simple stuff like you can call people because I think that's probably the best way to do it. When you call people, what are you going to say? And that was always my thing. So I knew that I don't really have anything to work with here. So let's just go back to my original callback book where there's maybe 80 people through. So all I did and how Brezzy Quitney Balmain in particular, that office was born was my product knowledge was not nine out of 10. It was 10 out of 10. I knew everything on the market. I physically tried to inspect everything as well. That's the extent that I went to. Kind of instilled from Ivan. Ivan and Shannon, yeah. Yeah, Ivan and Shannon, yeah. And then not only that, with that particular book, I identified anyone who owned a house, but more importantly, anyone who potentially had a house to sell. There weren't that many, unfortunately, but anybody that was going to buy a house. Then I just stuck on those people like glue. Yeah. And because my product knowledge and market knowledge is so good, I think product knowledge is you know, like there's a three bedroom house, that's your dress. Market knowledge is who's selling it, why they're selling it, who's a contract holder on it, like that level of detail. So one of the exercises I did at the office in the early days on a big white wall, I got pieces of paper, A4 paper, and I stuck them up and I wrote every address on every house in the market. There's like 70 things on the wall. And I said to the team, anytime you know a buyer that's considering one of these houses, write the name on there. And we organize it in price order. Yeah. And before you know it, like we're a few weeks in and there's all these names on the board. So then if you're talking about a three or $4 million house, you're like, well, there's all the buyers. Then what I would do is I'd bring people in for a second listen appointment at our office. Then I'd walk out the back and show them the board. This is the market. This is how it works. So you know, like how you've got some of those movies, you know, the crime movies and they're trying to join yep, everything together. I did that for real estate. Love that. And I'll be like, that's your market. Do you still there. do that or is tech a bit Not more anymore. advanced? Yeah. So you show them on them. I can just recite the buys off the top of my head now. So yeah, um, different game. But I can. Yeah, I'm playing a completely different game now. Sure. So, so we, okay. So you say 10 out of 10 committed looks like, you know, full day's work, six, six days a week. They've got really good product knowledge. What else? Product knowledge, market knowledge, buy work. Andy's very good at who's buying. Does he so, work with buyers agents or he works with buyers himself? Buyers himself. Both. If you said to him, write a list of 10 buyers that are looking to commit between four and four and a half right now, he'll do it without even thinking. Yeah, I love that. Buyer work. Okay, number four. And then he's seller work. So he also, like if something comes up in the street, it's just like what everybody does now, I suspect. I'll sell something and he's calling the street before me. He'll call the whole street and say, just so that you know, this just sold for that. I've seen on his computer, he'll list something and I'll be like, how did you get that? And he'll show me on his computer and he's like <laughs> literally left 27 messages for these people. <laughs> And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, why would you do that? And he's like, those 27 messages is offering information. Of course. They say, I mean, my favorite quote in prospecting is frequency builds trust. Mm -hmm. So he's frequently been at them over time, built up trust. And I think whilst everybody has a criteria for selection of an agent that differs depending on the person, trust is always at the top of the list. You are not, no matter how good you are or bad you are, right? Mm -hmm. You're never getting a piece of business if the person doesn't trust you. Hundreds. Not now game. The one thing that I think I'm good at is vendor management. And yeah. I don't I don't even like the term vendor management because it implies that you're trying to manipulate, but vendor management's all about trust. And I think that everything you do, every conversation you have either builds trust or takes trust away. And I think agents just need to learn how to do that. Now, the irony about vendor management is I've learned more from vendor management having bought and sold eight times myself. I've felt what they've felt yeah. and I've heard some of the dumb things. And I think some of the things that the industry teach people like I actually think back in the early days, I remember Shannon saying to me, treat people with respect because they're not idiots, but the industry treats them like idiots. Agents might withhold information or feel scared to say like, here's another buyer, but they need a week. And he's like, give them all the information. But 
help them understand what the positives and the negatives of that decision is. Whereas I'm not sure if you know specifically what I mean is that example, just treat people with respect and they will respond to that. And I think that's, you know, from a vendor management point of view, I actually think that I personally give so much, but every time I'm giving, I'm saying, so that's a decision. Here's another decision, but here's the positives and here's the negatives. And I actually don't know what's going to happen. It's up to them. And that builds trust, right? Yeah. You have to make your decision on what you do. I can tell you what I think. And even when people say, well, what are the chances that happening? I'm like, well, I actually don't know what the chances are. Will you meet your buyer in the first week? Well, statistically, yes, maybe 80, 90%. Will you meet them in the second week? Yeah, you might, but there's only a 10% chance, but you still might meet them in the second week. I can't make that decision for you. You have to decide what's important to you right now. And sometimes in real estate, a lot of people correct paralysis by analysis because they think that there's a formula, like a one plus one equals two. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much emotion put in that mix, it's hard to really determine that. I always say the one golden rule in real estate is that competitive tension gets you the best price. Like outside of that, it's a function of managing the three controllables we control, how the house looks, how we price the house and how we market the house. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, focus on the objective, right? Completely agree with that. Liddell, so he works full days. He knows his product knowledge, buy work, seller work. And is there a fit that kind of like that's special about him that is his genasiqua that he does really well that makes him great? Or just if you do those four things, you're going to be a 10 out of 10 committed. I Andrew think it's Liddell. probably the way he handles himself as well. Yeah. Very rarely does he look stressed. He's very patient with people. He understands it's their decision. Now, he's not perfect. Sometimes he calls me in a bit of a fluff, but no that's yeah. also respect that. But generally speaking, he would only ever be described as a nice guy in the office and he's nice to everybody. And that's how he is. His team adore him. We think he's great. That's a really good operator right there. He's not reflective of what maybe the industry would actually think of agents. Like if you followed him, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's just a good, he's good, a good guy who's really successful yeah. at what he does. Yeah probably why it does good. Mm. What sort of work have you done over the years in terms of mindset? You made a comment that it's about your ego when you were a young guy and you said it was out of control. And then as you reflected, you said probably not out of control. But I think that comment comes from the fact that you're just in very good control of it now and you weren't in as good a control back then. Mm. What are sort of the things you do or daily habits to control ego, mindset, wellness, and how important is that in the day-to-day running of, of real estate, managing people and selling at a, at a high level? I think on the topic of ego, I was sort of very fortunate to have Shannon as a role model because he's probably someone who most would say, well, there's very little ego there. Now, mm-hmm. no doubt he has some. Sure. But, you know, he's, it was he's always, human being. Yeah. he was a really good role model and that's who I was close to. This is my personal journey. So the second I found out I was having a kid, so I've got two children, Beautiful Oscar, who's children. five, and my yeah. daughter, Mimi, who's three. The second I found out that I was having Oscar, I made a decision that I would be the best role model to him ever. I just decided that I wanted to be the best version of myself. Now, I'm not perfect. I've done my best. As a result of that, this is just what happened for me. Things that were important to me before that just weren't important to me anymore. And I was just like- Why? Because of that single decision? I have a higher purpose now. I don't want to preach or or get on my high horse here. This is for you. This is for me, yeah. I just saw and accept the responsibility of being a father. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to be the best version of me so that- this child has the best chance in life and my daughter too. So there's so much stuff that I've had to learn. Don't get me wrong. I remember feeling like some of the material things, because I have nice things, but I like nice things. Some of them weren't as important to me anymore. So there was stuff that I was focused on. Like I had an event 
which I won't go into detail, where I made a bit of a fool out of myself. And I did I that. I want the detail. Give me the no, tea. What did you do? Where was it? <laughs> I made a fool out of myself and I upset a lot of people. Right. And I did it because I was, I was just nervous and I made a real fool out of myself. Yeah, right. And that was probably one catalyst. And I said, I will never do that again. I had children. So like, these are probably two big sort yeah, of pivotal moments. moments. In my sure. I used to think that people are thinking about me. And then and I was they like, never they're actually not thinking yeah. about you. No one gives a shit. Or I'd be like, I remember even maybe switching off when I switched office thinking, oh, everyone's going to be talking about this. And I'm like, no, no one, one spoke did. about it. No yeah. one actually cares about yeah. you. Yeah. And that's what I've learned. Like, no it was probably one, those two events coupled with age and, and just maturing. Maybe a bit of wisdom, right? yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. my age now. But I think when I started to realize there is a cost for everything. Explain that. There is a cost for everything because I agree with it. But for people who kind of want more detail, what do yeah. you mean by that? I have lots of coaches and I've got a therapist and, and I'm proud of that because people are proud of their PT, but they're not proud that they do mental health or therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I remember saying to my therapist, like, why do I want to drive a nice car? Why would I park it in a place that I can't park to try and impress people? Like being really honest to you about what I'm saying. Yeah. She said, why do you think that is? She asked me the question and I was like, I genuinely don't know. And she said, when you do that or you've, you're trying to project that persona, do you think they like you more or they like you less? It was this pivotal moment where I was like, oh they my God. They like me less. I better yeah, start doing that. I'm yeah. trying to impress people. Like here's the shadow to that. The shadow is that they probably think I'm a twit. Oh, hang on a second. Bit of a light bulb moment. What else am I doing that I think I'm impressing people, but they're actually not that impressed. They're like, that guy is a bit of a goose. And there were probably... Lots a of lot. things that I was doing and social media only started, I think, probably 2015, yep. 20. And I remember like what I was sort of projecting on there and the lifestyle that I was living. And there's a shadow to that still like years later, because people will meet me and they're like, you're not like what we thought you were like. What did you think I was like? But I get everybody does that. Everybody projects their, their best version. So I think for me, it was just like coming to terms slowly with who am I? Why do I behave like that? What's important to me? What's important? Is that serving me? And even more so in the last 12 months, that's what's really hit home for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the last 12 months. You've been going through some really, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've done, I had coffee this morning with Tom McGlynn and he described it perfectly. He's our CEO. He said, I've done 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. Yeah, that's gold. I've definitely done 10 rounds with Mike yeah, Tyson. Yeah, fully. Tell us about it because you've got to throw the C word in there, right? Yeah. Tell me about your last 12 months, what you've dealt with and, and how you've overcome it to be looking so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. great today. What that basically triggered was a situation where I started to question real estate. Can we say a personal thing in your relationship happened? Yeah, we'll Is leave that? it at that. So as a byproduct of that, I started to question, well, what is the point of all this? Like, yeah. What am I doing? And in a way, I'll share this. I felt like I'd done everything society suggested I should do mm -hmm. to make me happy. I was living that life. Yeah. So, so um, in, in that, like, you know, family, kids, good job, honorable, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 That's what I, I thought I ticked all those Textbook. boxes. I should, yeah. this should equal happiness. 100%. Paralysis by analysis. So I'm telling you. That's what I, so that is a really good way and break, help me break it down because yeah. it's hard for me to explain. That's yeah. exactly what happened. And I got really bitter, I think, December. Because of that personal situation, yeah. Because of what happened and because like what I've learned is there's some things that you can't see and it takes time and some pain to see them. So if you asked me about that situation a year ago and you asked me now, I would articulate it very differently now. And I'm like, wow, 
I had to grow a lot and I couldn't see that. I'm really grateful that I can see what I couldn't see because that's going to make me a better person, a better partner, a better father, a better business owner, all those things. Yeah. So I got really angry at society. I had to blame someone. So I was like, it's real estate. Fuck the world. I've given everything to this industry. I did everything the industry and society said I should do. And now what's important to me is not there. Yeah. And I'm like, how did this happen? And I actually said, that's it. I'm out of the game. It's real estate's fault. Wow. So you quit. Essentially. Well, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember walking down. I was just, I live right next to Bondi Beach. I went for a walk on the beach. I was looking at the water and I was like, I never had a holiday till I was 35 in the middle of the year. That's a big part of your problem. You come see me and I'll teach you about that. Wow. Like I tell everyone from the beginning. I've changed now. No, no, it's important. I've changed now, but I've got to get out. And it was actually my therapist who said, can you do something for me before you do that? Just have a think about what real estate would look like on your terms if you did that for 12 months. And I was like, okay. Like that, yeah. And I thought, you know what it would look like? It would look like no emails on my phone. Wow. Someone managing my inbox. Yep. It would look like limited phone calls only to like the right people. Yeah. And this is, by the way, after 20 years of It's 20 years, too, yeah. Like, I mean- it's 20 years. Yeah. So I changed my phone number online and got a spare phone because I have a team. I said it would be like Mondays and Fridays off and only maybe two or three hours a day maximum if I was needed. The default position is to be in Bondi. Scale it back, yeah. I just want to be at home yep. with myself. And as a byproduct of that, that's basically what I did. So I have a wonderful team. I have Jasmine and Jack. And I said, guys, this is where I'm at. Yep. I have nothing left. I need some time and space. So that's what I did. And I sort of enjoyed the year. I had some stomach cramps in June. And just by chance, I ended up in hospital and they did this scan. I had something called diverticulitis, which is like appendicitis, really painful stuff. And I had intravenous antibiotics. I got really fit. That's what I did. I sort of leaned into my fitness, not into drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I get this phone call from the hospital saying, something's come up on your scan. We found lesions on your kidney. You need to go to your GP. That's all they gave me. And not only that, they didn't give it to me. They gave it to my other phone. So Jasmine called me. She said, look, this is what the hospital said. I wrote it down. You've got lesions on your kidney. You need to go to your GP. The GP said, no stress. Just over the next three months, go and get a CAT scan. And then I got a phone call. I knew something was wrong. The doctor surgery called and said, your results are in. You have to see the doctor today. And I was like, oh my God. So I actually rung Chloe and I told her, Chloe's my partner. I saw when he came out, he looked a bit squirmish. He said, "Uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but you got cancer. I was like, Mm-hmm. I was like, <sighs> yeah. And I was like, I hate that word, man. I've got it. That's okay. How bad is it? That's what I want to know. It's good news. It's really early detection and it doesn't look like it's spread. But you need to go to the doctor, to the specialist tomorrow. Like you need to get this looked at. My mindset's automatically, I'll beat it. How no do I stress. solve it? Yeah. Chloe was next to me sobbing. And what'd you do? I just took a bit of time to process that. I got more scans. You said, yeah, you got cancer. Where? Kidneys. I had a two centimeter lesion and a one centimeter lesion. And he's like, it doesn't look like it's spread, but because you're young, you're fit, you're healthy. I have to put this to a panel. Part of the panel's in London. So I won't have any sort of next steps for you for another 10 days. Let's just see what happens. So he said, I'll call you at six o'clock on the Wednesday. So that's two Wednesdays after that appointment. And then he called me and he said, look, we want you to do one more scan. We just want to make sure it's not something else. Another phone call, I have to wait another 10 days after that. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I can't tell you conclusively without a biopsy that it's cancer, but it looks like cancer. What do you want to do? And I said, well, mate, what would you do if you were me? Good question. And he said, I'd get a good surgeon and cut it out. Out of 10, how confident are you that you'd make that decision? 10. I said, well, mate, are you a good surgeon? And he said, yeah. I said, well, cut the thing out. Let's go. Um, 
So that's what I did. Good, so, great mentality though. Like, I mean, it's just in that kind of autopilot, if I can tell just from what you're telling me, like you want to solve the problem. The lag time was killing me. Like yeah. the 10 days, 10 days. Like, what is that? Like, yeah. let's just get this sorted straight away. Right. I've had 41 and I've had cancer in and, my body. And when did you have the operation? July? August. The doctor said it's the best recovery he's ever seen. In a weird way, I was training for my recovery. Yeah. Before it happened, like, it's crazy how the universe works. It's the only right. way I can justify it. Yeah. The universe was prepping me yeah. for a whole year. What did you learn most from that period? Or what were the top lessons you took away from all of that? You live life every day is yeah. what I learned. To feel grounded and centered and present in your body, to be living life with intention, to make every decision a conscious one, to move towards energy and not away from it, like, to take your kids to school, to be present with your children, to become a better partner. That's where the gold is. Like I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. 2021 should have been the best year of my life. 104 sales, wrote a lot of money, like, like in terms of GCI. I also had a massive win on a house that I bought and sold. That should technically be the best year of my life. That is the unhappiest year of my life. Wow. The year that I earned the most, and I'll probably never earn that much in a year again, yeah. was the unhappiest year in my life. That's crazy. I don't really remember my daughter. Being crazy, yeah. My daughter or my son. Wow. I lost connection to Chloe. I question now, like, well, was it worth it? Yeah, yeah. It's people's and, experiences that make or break them, right? And, and shift the course of how they live their life moving forward. I challenge people now to think about, be successful, but think about how you're doing that. But everyone's wow. version of success is different too, right? Exactly. I feel so passionate about it that I've approached someone to say, can we create this course so we can run agents through it? Like that's where I'm at. I have a wellness coach. I think you just have to be very mindful because think about it. Just at my age now, I'm hearing about lots of people getting sick. Yeah, it's crazy. If you said to me that I was going to get sick and maybe let's say the diagnosis I got wasn't as positive, I would look back and I'd say, I would have lived life a bit differently. Yeah, right. That's what I would say. It's funny because if you asked me, right, mm -hmm. God forbid, but if I were to, I would have changed nothing. See, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think it might change if you have kids. Oh, it definitely that will. Would, that oh, would be the catalyst. The whole world will flip upside down. Yeah. But I always used to say, I remember Tom Panos asked me once, he's like, if you could create a slogan and like write something on it, what would it say? And I always said, tomorrow's not promised to anybody. Yeah. Right? Because that was always great advice. Let's wrap up. I want to know what your goals are for the next year. Can you tell us some of them? Basically just revolve around my health. I won't be specific about it, but I have a health goal. I have a work goal. And then at this stage, I already have most of my holidays. Locked in, in advance. Yeah. But I don't want to arrive at a holiday where I feel like I need a holiday. I just want to arrive at a holiday so that it's just a bonus. Yeah. And then outside of that, I just want to be the best partner and without question, the best father. And I just want to continue my journey of growth because I've learned a lot this year. And um, some of it's been really confronting to face and I'm enjoying that journey. I'm, I'm enjoying unraveling. The ride. Yeah. Well, you're giving me some great energy this morning. Just quickly, Balmain Market, what's it doing um, right now? It's okay. Okay. It's, okay. it's funny you asked me that because if I answered that question a week ago, it felt like a little bit flat, but we're recording this now at the end of November. Yep. There was definitely a bit of an energy shift, but I feel like that happens in most markets after Melbourne Cup. Prior to that, our clearance rate dropped down a bit because we monitor it. It was just, a, it was 50% actually in our market. But outside of that, like it's been a really good year defined by probably what most markets are, which is just a lack of stock. I have found the market just bipolar in the mm. last three to six months. Like it makes no sense. Like some things are, and like I'm coming off of, I'm tracking this month for a PB. Last month was the office's best month, but that's kind of why I can't make sense of it because it's like up and then, not that it's ever down, but it's just like certain things, I don't know. 
I agree with you. Like nothing actually makes nothing sense. Makes and sense. you don't know how it's going to go until you start. I passed something in on the weekend that I thought would actually sell. And I haven't been caught out like that for years. Yeah. And the poor client rung me this morning and said, how do you feel? And she's like, I feel really upset. And I was like, oh, geez. And I was like, okay, well. Let's stick to the process, baby. Yeah. I, I really felt for her. She was actually genuinely rattled by it. And I tried to unpack that with her. But, you know, in situations like that, you know, I said to her, I'm really sorry. And I accept responsibility. I'm the agent. And let's just try and focus on the next steps and try and get you sold. Overcoming adversity, live every day to its fullest. That's the lesson we're taking from today. I think so. I don't want that to sound like gimmicky, but I mean, it's to do that, to, to get to that space, there's lots of little steps that you take. And every day you just, for me, like a part of my practice, my wellness practice, I've built on little things. Like I actually have a checklist when I wake up and a checklist when I go to bed. And I, I find- Do you review every morning and night? Yeah, I look at it a lot. Yes, but like I don't get up every day feeling fantastic. And I acknowledge that life is hard. Life is hard for agents. Life is hard- Everybody, everybody. Everybody, yeah. yeah. Like, let's just be real about that. So sometimes, you know, I wake up and I'm like, okay, well, let's get through this. Let's do the different things. And yeah, so I have a really good, I have a really good wellness practice. So we're going to look out for the course that you put together when you put it together. Yeah. Because we're going to buy in on that. We're going to promote it. If this doesn't come out until then, if it's up ready, we'll put it at the bottom. Brother, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubenstein. Subscribe now for future episodes.